All right, this is star fruit. This is the most spiritual fruit in the world because of its shape, because of its name. God told Abraham he was going to have as many descendants as the stars in the sky. Those descendants are you and me, my friend. We are the spiritual children of God. It doesn't mean you have to be of Jewish descent. It means you have to walk by faith. The righteous shall walk by faith. And Abraham is our father. When you are a Christian, your job is to make more of this, to make more star fruit. Mm -hmm. And how we do that? In keeping with repentance, John the Baptist says. There is a frightening future for those who do not have fruit in their lives. So today we're going to talk about how to have fruit, what happens when you don't have fruit, and where the power to give fruit actually comes from. So let's get into it. Hello and welcome to Amen Podcast, where we preach the good news of Jesus Christ and how it applies to everyday life. I'm Lokalani, your host, and today Alex is preaching from Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 13 on how to be fruitful. You don't want to miss this message. <laughs> we will also have a time at the end where you and I can respond to this message where we'll have a time for Q&A. It's called After the Amen. So stick around and let's read. Verse seven. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to be baptized, he denounced them. You sons of snakes, he warned, who said that you could escape the coming wrath of God. Before being baptized, prove that you have turned from sin, doing worthy deeds, don't try to get by as you are thinking. We are safe, for we are Jews, descendants of Abraham. That proves nothing. God can change these stones here into Jews. And even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised to chop down every unproductive tree. They will be chopped and burned. With water I baptize those who repent of their sins. But someone else is coming, far greater than I am, so great that I am not worthy to carry his shoes. He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He will separate the chaff from the grain, burning the chaff with never-ending fire and storing away the grain. That's good. We'll stop at verse 12 and we'll do the rest next week in the next episode. So look at verse... Seven. Thank you for reading that, babe. Mm -hmm. But when we, but when he saw many Pharisees, many Pharisees, underline that there was a lot of Pharisees and Sadducees. Who are these guys? Bad, uh, Pharisees and Sadducees are guys who were either extremely conservative or extremely liberal. The Pharisees they created this like group of people who like was making extra biblical laws, laws that weren't in the Bible that they were going to follow so they could really make it into heaven. They thought that they could get into heaven according to their own righteousness. They were very self-righteous and prideful. Now, the Sadducees, they were guys who were like almost like deconstructed Christians today, right? Mm -hmm. Where I'm a Christian nominally, but I don't actually like believe in some of the weird stuff. Like Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They were like, that's too you know, crazy for us, too spiritual for us. We're going to take that out. So they were liberal in their Christianity. And notice it says there was many of them. Hmm. There was many back then. There's many today. And here's the part. If you're going to be fruitful, you got to make disciples, not duplicates. The, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were making duplicates of themselves. That's why there's so many of them. They're hmm. popping out little versions of themselves. And a lot of churches today, we can go and see many versions of the head pastor, mm -hmm. uh, not versions of Jesus, not images of Jesus, mm -hmm. not wa those walking in Christ likeness. So we got to look out for that. But let's keep on going. 
say to your neighbor, that's only verse one. <laughs> okay, and they were coming to be baptized. He denounced them. John the Baptist is not here to make friends. He's here to make disciples. He's here to be a friend of Christ. And what it means to be a friend of Christ means to not flatter others. He denounced them. These are the big spiritual religious leaders of the day. Mm. I mean, think about the top Christian influencers. Think about the top Christian pastors, Christian leaders, Christian artists. These guys were at that level. And what does John the Baptist do? Calls them out instantly and denounces them. He not say, he doesn't say, oh, thank you so much. I'm so humbled for you to come out to the wilderness to see my baptism, to hear what I'm preaching about. This is so kind of you. Thank you so much. I'd love to get together and get coffee with you. He, mm. he cuts all that and says, listen, you guys are what? In verse eight, in verse seven, you sons of snakes, he warned. So to call someone a snake and specifically the text translates from the word viper, what we would call the word viper. Mm-hmm. This uh, was crazy because in antiquity, they believed that vipers gnawed their way out of their mother's womb, killing their mother. Is what ancient people believed. That's insane. But it's also parent killing. That would make vipers parent murderers, which in antiquity was the lowest, most degrading thing you could call someone. To call them a snake was to call them that. And he calls them that. Why? Because they're sly, they're slithery, they hide their motives, but they're also life-killing. Mm-hmm. They they go around taking life from the people around them. That's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were doing. Because of them making up laws, because of them teaching that you could work your way into heaven, and because of the Sadducees not believing the full Bible, picking and choosing what they were going to believe, and picking and choosing what they were going to teach. That's dangerous, yet we see a lot of Christian YouTubers, a lot of pastors, a lot of teachers do that today. I This is a temptation that I fall into a lot as someone with a bunch of numbers next to my name on the internet. There's a tendency to say, I want to please people. I want to please man. We see like Saul fall into that, King Saul. We've seen King Herod fall into that. It's a dangerous trap to be in. And that's why I love that John the Baptist is saying, I'm going to move to the wilderness And people can come out to me and hear me preach, but I'm not going to be running around in the circles where the temptation is, where the falsery is. I don't even know if that's a word. He says, who said to you, Pharisees, Sadducees, that you could escape the coming wrath? He's calling out to them. You guys don't have fruit. And because of that, who said that you could come escape the coming wrath? What are you doing out here? Are you really trying to come get baptized or are you doing something else? Are you trying to just spy out what's going on? Verse eight, it says, before being baptized, prove that you have turned from your sin by doing worthy deeds. Now, this is interesting because John's baptism was different from baptism in the Old Testament. Baptism in the Old Testament exclusively uh, existed for non-Jewish people. If a Gentile wanted to become a part of the Jewish faith, the Jewish family, God required for them to get baptized. It was a washing ceremony that they would do themselves. That's two differences right there. One, it was for Gentiles. Two, they would uh, wash themselves. And um, John's baptism was saying, I have to do it. I, John the Baptist, someone else has to baptize you. And he wasn't baptizing Gentiles. He was baptizing Jews. 
So his baptism was totally different. And it was a complete immersion. It wasn't just a washing. It was going under the water. What it symbolized was dying, going from death to life. Dead inside the water, alive as the person brings you up. And it symbolized that you can't do this on your own. Someone else has to do it for you. But also what baptism was, it was a mark. When when the when the Gentiles were doing it, they were saying, I'm now marked by what I believe. I'm not, I'm not believing in what I used to, the false gods. I'm following the Jewish faith. As Christians, as Jews, in this moment, when they were getting dipped in the water, dunked in the water, they were saying, I am leaving my old ways, and now I'm marked. I'm a part of a community that believes and follows the Messiah. It was putting a giant target on your back and saying, I'm different now. And that's what it still means today. Unfortunately, in our culture, we use it as like, an Instagram photo or a chance to get a bunch of views on our story. But it was more than that. It was a very serious thing because of what he says in verse eight. With baptism comes repentance. Baptism shows repentance. So he's saying, don't you Pharisees and Sadducees come out here with your fruit fruitlessness and try to get dunked without having repentance. Repentance comes first. First you turn from your sins and then you say, now I want to get baptized. Mm-hmm. Baptism itself doesn't save you. It's a sign that you've been saved. Mm -hmm. Because when a person has truly placed their faith in Christ, they repent of their sins. They turn from the things that they used to trust in. I used to trust in drugs. I used to trust in pornography. I used to trust in relationships. I used to trust in these things that made me feel like I'm going to be okay, made me feel secure. Now I take all that, throw it in the trash, and I place my faith in Jesus. And I'm going to be okay because of what he has done. I'm trusting in that. From today all the way to the last day on earth, I'm trusting that my soul is okay because of what he's done. Mm -hmm. Verse 9, don't try to get by as you are thinking. We are safe for we are Jews, descendants of Abraham. That proves nothing. God can change these stones here into Jews. So this is a problem that um, John the Baptist calls out in their lives. Fruitlessness tends to think that it can get by just by who it is, who they are. Mm. So the Pharisees, they were fruitless. The Sadducees, they were fruitless. Mm. And they were thinking, because we're descendants of Abraham nationally, generationally, we're going to get into heaven. It does not work that way. Race has no power to save you. Mm -hmm. Social class. Mm. Even whether or not you are um, extremely biblically literate, literate, there's so many different things that we come up in the world to make us feel like I'm going to get into heaven because of this. Mm. John is saying, listen, I know what you're thinking because John is a preacher. He's preaching the word of God and the word of God can read minds. He says, before you even say it, before you take one step closer, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking because you come from Abraham's physical family, you're going to be okay. He says, God can take these stones and turn them into children of God. Now that's heavy because stones are really hard. What he's saying is you guys and your hearts are harder than these stones. You guys have diamond hearts, so hard, harder than these stones. God can take these stones, change them and turn them into children of Abraham. God can take whoever. You may feel like I'm a rock. I'm nothing. I'm just, you know, on the bottom of the totem pole. 
And God is saying, you know what? You may feel like a rock, a stone, a pebble. I can take you and turn you into a children, a child of Abraham, a child of faith, a child of promise. The promises that applied to Abraham apply to you now. I'm just a rock. I'm nothing. God is changing you. Peter, what does his name mean? Simon before God, Jesus changed it to Peter. What does Peter mean? Pebble. God took a pebble of a fisherman and turned him into a preacher at Pentecost. He can do that to you. Mm-hmm. When we put our trust in him, when we bear fruit in keeping with repentance, we, we, we turn from our sins and we say, God, allow me to bear fruit. I know I'm just a, a rock. I know I'm just a nothing, but you can do this with me. The, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Sadducees were not getting this. And that's why they are fruitlessness. Mm. Conservatism doesn't breed fruitfulness. Liberalism doesn't breed fruitfulness. The kingdom of God is not conservative. It's not liberal. It's not a donkey. It's not an elephant. It's not blue. It's not red. It's not green. It's completely something outside of that. Mm. They're hearing about the kingdom of God in the wilderness, not the city of Jerusalem where the busy, buzzling temple is. Somewhere far away from that, outside of that, is where they're hearing about the kingdom of God. That's a picture of the kingdom of God being outside of the systems of the world. The systems of the world are anti-God. You need to remember that because the prince and power of the air, the one that's pulling the puppet strings in this world, and God's allowing him to do it because God's getting glory out of it. The devil, his angels, the demons, the false little G gods never saw God saving his children through death. That's insane. Caught them off guard. They don't see what's happening because they're following the systems of evil. Lokalani this week was just reading. She reminded me of the story in Numbers where um, the people uh, get sick. The people of God get sick. And so these snakes were biting them and they were getting killed one after another, hundreds, hundreds, thousands. And so God told Moses, take a, a serpent of bronze, wrap it around your pole and stand it up. You may see this picture on the side of an ambulance, the snake with a pole. And God said, whoever looks at this snake is going to be saved. Just by looking at it, they got saved. And Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so I must be lifted up. And if we look to him in trust and faith, we'll be saved too. From the very thing that was trying to kill them, the the snakes were trying to kill them. God used a serpent to heal them. Mm -hmm. We were running from death. Death was the very thing that we needed to get away from. The wages of sin is death. The payment that God gives you for your sin is a full paycheck of death. And that's what we were worried about. That's what we were scared of. That's what we were running from. That was our enemy. And God used the death of his son to save us. Satan and his team did not see this coming at all because they're following the systems of the world. As long as you're following the systems of the world, you're never going to be on the same page as God. He works outside of that completely. The world, for example, hates the family. The world is constantly trying to split up the family. So in our churches, in our homes, we got to make sure that we're not compartmentalizing our family and splitting up our family every chance we get. Get back to doing dinner together. Get back to doing worship together. Get back to reading the Bible together. Get back to even if it's simple as watching a movie together. Get back, get, what happened to family game night? Remember that in the 90s? 
we got to get back to this. The world mm-hmm. is about separate it, separating us. We can't fall into that. Mm-hmm. So verse 10, it says this. And even now the axe of God's judgment is poised to chop down every unproductive tree. They will be chopped and burned. We got to keep this simple. A lot of people in our culture today, they want to act like there's no hell. There is hell. Too many times has Jesus talked about hell. Too many times has John the Baptist talked about hell for us to act like it's just metaphorical. Jesus talks about hell more than he talks about heaven in the gospels. We got to remember it's real. Yeah, It's very real. And what happens to an unproductive tree? What happens if there's no star fruit in your life at the end of your life? The only thing that a fruitless tree is good for is firewood, my friends. He says, you will be chopped down and thrown into the fire if you don't have fruit. What God is looking for is fruitfulness. What he's looking for is children of obedience. Not because he's trying to steal our joy. What does a fruit tree want to do more than have fruit? It doesn't just want to sit around in the dirt. But when you choose to not obey God, not repent, what you're doing is you're just sitting around in the dirt. God made us from dirt. Doctors have found dirt inside of our skin cells. You you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So in this short period of 80 years, maybe 85 on this planet, 90 if you're really blessed, do you just want to go from dust to dust and sit around in the dirt your whole life? What a tree wants to do most is make fruit. There is nothing more pleasing, satisfying, productive, purposeful than you making fruit in your life. I was having a bad day yesterday. I was kind of feeling down in the dumps. Sometimes I wake up kind of depressed. David woke up like this some days. You can read it in the Psalms. And my pastor texted me and said, hey, I'm coming by with the tent. Are you ready? And instantly my mood changed because that tent symbolizes our first church meeting at our house. We haven't told you guys this yet, but we're having church services at our house at 5 p.m. on Sundays. And uh, I'm going to preach. Me and Lokalani will do worship and stuff. And uh, we're excited about that. But it instantly changed my mood because what does it mean? It means fruit. It means more fruit. Fruit gets me excited. My kids saying to me, I want to listen to Amen podcast before I go to bed, gets me excited. Uh, my kids coming up to us and saying, oh, this is kind of like this and pointing it to a picture in scripture. One night I was telling the story of David and Goliath and and uh, Amos looked at me and goes, dad, you're wrong. Goliath didn't die when he got hit with a stone. It knocked him out. And then he, and then uh, David cut off the head. And I was like, are you sure about that? And I read the story and that's true. Mm-hmm. The stone knocked him down, but he completely cut off the head. When he walked up and he picked up it with the sword. What is that a picture of? My my son knows what it's a picture of. I needed to learn what it was a picture of. This is what gives me joy. This is what excites me. It's a picture of this. Sin and death and the devil is completely knocked out with the cross. Completely knocked out. Not getting back up. But there's going to come a day, the coming judgment of God, where Jesus is going to come back as a, he's already risen. He's already resurrected. He already has the right hand of the father. He's going to come back with a sword. Revelation says the sword comes out of his mouth. And with that sword, he's going to completely chop off sin, death, and the devil Mm -hmm. and throw it all into the lake of fire. But it's already defeated because of the cross. We're already free. 
This is what gets me excited. This is what pumps me up. This is fruitfulness that we want to get. So if you don't have fruit in your life, you'll be chopped and thrown into the fire. So we got to figure out how to not let that happen. In verse 11, with water, I baptize you, those who repent of their sins, but someone else is coming far greater than I am, so great that I am not worthy to carry his shoes. He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So he's saying, the Messiah, the one whom I am the forerunner of, my cousin, Jesus, the Son of God, incarnate, he is coming soon. He is here. He's coming. The kingdom of God is at hand. And when he comes, he's going to baptize you with more than just water. John is saying, my baptism is just a baptism of repentance. It's just getting you ready to trust in God. It's saying that I'm placing my trust in him. It's getting ready for you to trust him with the rest of your life. That's what my, what my baptism, is, baptism is. His baptism is going to be with Holy Spirit and fire. Now, this is interesting because when you become a Christian, we know the Holy Spirit indwells you, the power of God. This is why it's so important for you to find your gifts of the Holy Spirit and walk in them because the, the Holy Spirit still does miracles today through your gifts. It's a miracle what I'm able to see Lokalani do with her gift of discernment. I mean, stuff that is miraculous. How would she know that? How would she be able to call that shot? How was she able to protect our family from that seemingly close mistake? It's because of her gift of discernment. It's a miracle. God still does miracles today. He does it through the gifts of the Spirit. Um, what God has been able to do in y'all's life because of the gift of the Spirit of preaching in my life, that's not because I'm smart. That's not because I'm clever. That's because the Spirit of God. If you would have met me before the internet, you would have you would be able to see how miraculous what what is happening right now is because this was not who Alex was. Mm -hmm. It's a gift of the spirit. It's a miracle. So that's what happens when you're baptized into Christ. But what this image right here means is more than that because the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it is connected to wind and breath. Mm -hmm. God breathed life into people. His spirit hovered over the face of the deep. We see it all the time, breath and wind, breath and wind. Uh, Jesus talks about it in John chapter three. As surely as the wind goes and you don't know which way it's coming from and what it's going to do next, so the spirit of God gives life to whom God chooses. Mm -hmm. So here, when it says that Jesus is going to baptize you with Holy Spirit, with wind and with fire, verse 12 reveals what he means. He will separate the chaff from the grain, burning the chaff with never ending fire and storing away the grain. So what happens back then when they want to make bread, they would get this floor called a threshing floor. It was like a cement block, hard block, and they would take the wheat, put it on there. They would use the winnowing fork, a big giant, you know, scarecrow pitchfork, pick up the wheat, drop it on the threshing floor. And then when it was time to separate the chaff, which is the part you don't eat, and the wheat, they would throw it up, and the wind would catch the chaff, blow it away into the fire. They'd have a fire next to it. And the fire would just pull that chaff in and burn it up. But the wheat, the heavy part, would drop back down, and it'd be ready to make it into some bread. Jesus is saying, you, Christians, are the wheat. Those who are wicked are the chaff. And so what God is going to do on the judgment day He's going to stick the word of God, his fork, into the world. 
into us and he's going to fly us up. And those who the Holy Spirit blows and the fire catches are those who are going to spend eternity in hell. Not a thousand years, not 10,000 years, not a million years. After 10 million years, if there was time in hell, hell would still be going. And those who have rejected Christ, chosen their own way, will still be burning. How is that okay? Why would God do that? God is holy, my friends. He is sovereign. He's supreme. His holiness cannot be matched to anything that you can understand. And so if that seems cruel to you, that just means you do not understand how big and powerful and holy and good God is and how gracious he is for us to even get his son in the first place. Mm-hmm. It's not that God is sending people to hell. It's that God is saving people from hell. Mm-hmm. That's what he's in the business of. Mm-hmm. We ask the wrong questions. Why would God send people to hell? It's not that. Why would God save people from hell? We all deserve that. We all should be going there. Not just going there, but going there in a 95 mile per hour train covered in gasoline. That's how headed towards hell we are. And he saves us. He takes control of that train, gets us all off of it, makes his son the conductor and lets him fly straight into the pit of hell and experience an eternity amount of suffering for you and I. The wrath of God on Jesus for the cro- during the cross meant an eternity amount of suffering, not just three days in the grave. Somehow, through the miraculous superpower, supernatural power of God, Jesus experienced an eternity amount of suffering on your behalf. Mm-hmm. It's not that he's sending people to hell. He's saving people from hell. His righteous judgment and wrath is what he saved you from. It's powerful. And because we are the wheat and not the chaff, we are going to be able to bring life and food and nourishment to the people around us. Mm-hmm. So do you want to be fruitless or fruitful? Do you want to be wheat or do you want to be chaff? How does this happen? The word of God has to stick itself into you. God, Jesus is the word of God. He has to stick the word of God into you and throw you up. You got to let this happen. It's nothing that you can do on your own. God has to change you from chaff into wheat. Mm-hmm. He does that by letting his son, who was the wheat, burn for the chaff. He switched with us, the great reversal. Mm-hmm. He did this so you could be wheat. When we look to him, that's when the reversal happens. We look to him. We trust in it. We believe in it. We prove that we actually trust in it. We prove that God has placed faith in us. It's not mustering up enough mental like power to be like, yeah, I think I believe that. Yeah, I believe that. I can believe that. I did the, I did my homework. It's not about homework. Apologetics and that kind of stuff, it doesn't save you. What saves you is faith, not justification, putting the two plus two. Okay, yeah, of course. Yes, I believe there's a God. Anybody can believe that there's a God. There's evidence of God in nature. Trusting in that God, trusting that the Son of God died and rose again from the grave, that's different. Placing faith with Him is a supernatural thing. God has given you faith by a gift because of Mm -hmm. grace. Mm -hmm. When you have that, it's proved that you have it because faith without works is dead. It's proved that you have it when you repent. When you repent, fruit happens. 
Yes. When you repent and you you live in that repentance, you live constantly repenting. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect all the way. Mm-hmm. It means that you'll be like David, a man after God God's own heart, a woman after God's own heart, mm-hmm. which meant what? David was a person that constantly repented. Yes. He constantly turned away from his sin. Mm-hmm. He constantly messed up, confessed it, left it there and turned away and returned to God. That's what it looks like. When you live like that, there will be fruit in your life. Mm -hmm. The fruit of David living like that was the book of Proverbs that his son wrote. Mm -hmm. Ecclesiastes that his son wrote. That's fruit. We're still gleaning and eating from that spiritual refreshment today, guys. That's fruit. That happens when a person is constantly repenting because they've trusted that they were the chaff and he was the wheat and they switched. So we don't have to burn for eternity, but we get to live fruitfully with him for eternity. Trusting in that. Amen. Amen. Father God, thank you so much for this message. Thank you so much for the great reversal. Mm. Help us, Lord, to learn more about you so we can trust you and love you and fall deeper into your destiny for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. This is part of the episode called After the Amen, where we ask you a question to help you apply this message to your life. Alex, what's our question today? The question is. What does fruitfulness look like in your life? What does fruitfulness look like in your life? I'll go first. Man, I just love this message. And I was thinking as you were preaching just about how different the fruit in the life of a Christian looks compared to the world or even, you know, some of these Pharisee, Sadducee type people in today's world, you know, um, you know, notoriety, cars, money, you know, all these like material things. We, the world sees that as fruit and they see serving others, putting others first. That's like, no, you got to love yourself first. Like serving others is not fruit. You know, it's like, there's something wrong, like with you, like you're, you're not going after you. You're not making yourself happy first, you know, happiness like we see that as like happiness and success is a fruit of the world where actually it's holiness and joy that is Mm. a fruit of the christian and so um i just loved this message and it just really just shows how important the like spending time in god's word is because it's so easy to allow the fruit of the world the fake fruit the pseudo fruit (laughs) Um, influence you and you start to look at your life like, is my life fruitful? Well, do I have this? Do I have that? Am I married? Do I have kids already? Like, you know, Mm. the fruit is sometimes unseen, like, you know, materially in the life of a Christian, but it comes forth through the way we treat people, the way we serve others, the way we serve the Lord, um, what we prioritize in our life um, and just having that repentant, contrite heart at all times, which takes immense humility in a world in a world that celebrates pride, you know? So I just love this message and mm. we would love to hear from you. So what does fruitfulness look like in your life? Amen. Thank you guys so much for checking out today's episode. If you loved it, if it uh, encouraged you, uh, we are crowdfunded, and so if you want more messages like this going out into the intersphere, I just made that up. Internet. Oh, inter- <laughs> uh, internet sphere. 
Um, we're online missionaries. We're also on land missionaries, uh, which means this same message we're going to preach tonight in front of um, our local family and friends, uh, people who live here on our island. And so if you love this message and you want it to help people both online and on land, you can go to amenpodcast.com forward slash donate. Uh, the link is in the description if you want to go there. And that would mean a lot. You could also pick up some merch, you know, if you want to help promote the podcast by wearing Amen Podcasts on Yabare. And yeah, we love you guys. Thank you so much. And we'll see you in the next one. Yep. And until then, go out and be the church.